Layovers, your weekly dose of aviation innovation. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome aboard from the flight deck. This is Paul Pavelevichu. Hello, everybody. This is Alex Hunter. We'll be your pilots for this show about the news, the startups, and the technologies defining the modern air travel experience. Our flight time today, an hour and one minute, and we expect our on-time arrival. Coming up on this flight, a new low-cost alliance shakes things up in Southeast Asia. I do my first round-the-world trip in first. Jet Lovers goes 3D. Airbus goes AQ. Alex and Gourdain share some airplane food similarities. Qantas finally introduces women pilot uniforms. Singapore Airlines and Air France wanted to get close, but Lufthansa said no way. Ryanair opens a new chapter by reshaping its route model. Hotels get to cabin feeling. New York wants to fire TSA whose queues are getting out of hand. As we reach our cruising altitude, I'm going to turn off the fast seatbelt sign for you. Now, ladies and gentlemen, sit back, relax, and let's turn on those noise-canceling headphones. Flight 41 to Sofia. Sofia. Finally, we're in the same place at the same time. This never Which happened. Never happens. The laws of travels, the gods were with us. At some point, <laughs> it was bound to happen. But we were not in the same flights. No, we weren't in the same flight. But we did realize that this is the first time we've actually been in the same place since Tokyo in January, which is pretty crazy. We talk to each other all the time, obviously. We haven't met physically since that episode we recorded about attaché travel. That was great. And your new episode about New York is just out. I encourage people to actually watch oh, it. I'll put the link in the show notes. Talking about great reviews, because you get great reviews for attaché travel. Before I get there, actually, you know what? You met two guys in the lounge actually told you about layovers, right? I, yeah, I did. This, of course, this is the first opportunity to talk about this. I was waiting for my flight to Sardinia, which I'll talk about a bit later, and these guys came up and sat next to me in the lounge, and they were clearly fellow plane geeks. We immediately, of course, started talking, and it turns out that they were listeners to the show, oh, which so is awesome. amazing. They were... How did they recognize you? I mean, were you talking like <laughs> talking no, to no, yourself? Um, <laughs> We got into the subject of podcasts and general aviation geekery, and I said, oh, I, you know, I have a little podcast myself, and quickly realized that they were listeners. They were they were heading from Dublin to Sydney, and their flight was already 24 hours late. Oh, wow. Yeah, they'd had a maintenance issue the night before, and so they'd been put back a, a day. So I'm hoping, here we are, what, two weeks later, that they finally got there, and they're, <laughs> they're enjoying it. But they were super nice guys, so if they're listening to this, then I really enjoyed our conversation. About enjoying, we received amazing reviews on iTunes. So we said, guys, please give us a review on iTunes that you actually delivered. Basically, they're all five stars. I'm going to mention a few ones. Um, Tim Mahoney, uh, this podcast is a great way to pass the time, very informative. Uh, then there is a Glow Code, a Hello Glow Code, insightful, fun, enlightening. This is my go-to podcast on flying, top-notch from Badabing 1000 in the UK, an addictive podcast, it says. He loves the structure. Mathieu Guionnet uh, Duluc says, great podcast about the aviation industry with a personal touch from both of the owners. Great job. He actually says, I don't usually like podcasts longer than 30 or 40 minutes, but I made an exception for this one. So thank you so much. We do get a lot of, I mean, thank you guys. That, that's awesome to hear. But I mean, we do get a lot of feedback from people about it's too short, it's too long. long. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to I, find the actual science for that, right? I don't know what, if there's a standard, but we seem to have found a cadence with around with an, an hour. hour. Around an hour, yeah. Oink, oink says, a must for the frequent flyer. These two guys, Alex and Paul, will make your day for an hour. So that's really, thank you so much. Great air travel news and reviews by your friend, the fatty from Canada. Love the podcast. Extremely likable and relatable hosts. Wow, really, thank you. And Gen Kanai, our friend Gen Kanai from Shanghai, did a very lengthy review. One of his points was we should get more guests. Well, you just listened to the past episode. We had a guest and we promised that we'll try to get more on board. Talking about very funny names, because that's the thing on, on, on iTunes, there's always like these funny nicknames that you put. There was this, I don't know if it is that funny, but there was this person probably that created a Wi-Fi network for a Qantas flight. And what was the name? <laughs> this is, I think it's funny, but also not funny, as you say. So somebody called their Wi-Fi hotspot mobile detonation nation device <laughs> and it can, i'm sorry you, i'm laughing but. if you pull up you know your wi-fi connections on your phone or whatever and you see that you part of you 99 of you is gonna go haha very funny and one percent of you is gonna freak out and i guess the one 
100% one in this instance. And the captain said he wasn't going to move the airplane until somebody fessed up. And nobody did after about an hour and a half. So they moved away from the terminal and it went away, which kind of points to it being somebody in the terminal, some joker. But uh, yeah, that, that's a that's a pretty funny story. Talking about Aquantas is something I didn't know since we're in that part of the world. Apparently, up to very recently, women pilots had to wear the same uniform as men. So they were tailored for men and they finally created uniforms for women. And thank you, Qantas. I mean, it's about time, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> By the way, they really uh, do look great. When you see pilots in a uniform, there's always been something about it. I think there's some mystique probably. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, They're a, uh, a rare breed. I know there's a lot of pilots out there, but still, it's kind of a, it's a cool job. Something you love besides flying is food, obviously. Proof is uh, your uh, show, Attaché Travel. We, we spoke a little bit about food here, but one of the leading uh, <laughs> tastemakers of crazy food is Anthony Bourdain. He had this uh, interview on uh, bonappetit.com where he's answering the question, are you eating airplane food? So you, Alex, do you eat airplane food? If I'm bored. <laughs> <laughs> Which is often the case. Yeah, Alex. I mean, sometimes I try to avoid it unless I'm on, you know, in business class and it's a new airline or I know that they've got economy food, but it's never going to be anything to write home about, is it? Yeah, no, uh, rarely, honestly. It, it's usually on long haul flights, especially when you're in economy, is about passing the time. You know, it's like yeah. uh, something to do for half an hour, an hour yeah. or something, exactly. right? Of course, if you're in premium cabin, that's totally different. Sometimes it's amazing. I'll come to a little story later about my previous flights, but it's true that other than that, usually nothing to write home about. So Anthony Bourdain, does he eat? The interviewer asked him you know, if he ever ate plain food and he said, never. No one has ever felt better after eating plain food. I think people only eat it because they're bored. So that's uh, consistent. I don't eat on planes. I like to arrive hungry. I'm a big fan of Anthony Bourdain. He's responsible for a lot of what I do today. But he, And this is a consistent thread in his commentary. He's always always vehemently against airplane food and says that he'd rather get there hungry and go to the local food market or hawker center or whatever, which I get. And he says, well, they, they challenged him and said, what if you're on a super long flight? And he says, for the long ones, I order cheese and a quote, a shitload of port. <laughs> I'd eat some cheese and drink myself stupid. <laughs> He says, uh, if you want to be the most despised person in the cabin, bring some good barbecue on and have everybody in the plane smell it. <laughs> I've actually had once on the ground, someone got a pizza delivered. I never understood how it worked. Ooh. It must have been a prank because the staff must have been in, of course, on it because otherwise he would have never passed security. But it was really fun to see that happen. Uh, Antonio Bonac also recently did a, an interview saying that he absolutely loves the Philippines and that allows me to make the transition to Southeast Asia. A new kind of alliance has been created, and that's a very interesting one, because it's an alliance of, of course, Southeast Asian carriers, but low-cost Southeast Asian carriers. This kind of came out of nowhere, didn't it? I mean, I certainly didn't hear any rumblings about it. Not that that's got to do with anything, but it really did seem to pop up out of nowhere. Maybe because we're not in a region, so we don't, of course, hear about it. But it's true that it's the concept of making an alliance between low-cost carriers is almost unheard of. You don't have, you know, Ryanair and EasyJet. I mean, we've heard lobby alliances, you know, to fight for the same rights against governments and regulations. But to actually have these type of agreements is not exactly... So I'm not sure of the extent of the alliance, if it has interlining agreements, for instance, or not. But it seems to be that they are both competitors. At the same time, they're trying maybe to kind of dislocate the traditional carriers over there. So it's going to comprise initially, and I think their ambitions are to expand, but Cebu Pacific, Jeju Air from South Korea, Nok Air from Thailand, and Nok Scoot, which is a joint venture, and then Scoot and Tiger Air, Tiger Air Australia, all subsidiaries of Singapore Airlines, and Vanilla Air, the hilariously called Vanilla Air, Vanilla from, Air. <laughs> from Japan. And the group call themselves the Value Alliance, and they've said that they've set up this website that allows you to book tickets and extra services across all of the carriers. This is just the beginning. So I think they will do interline agreements and all of that stuff as a way to compete, as you said, against the bigger regional carriers. So very exciting. So I found the news via Cebu Pacific. So I'll put the link in the show notes of the press release. But on their Twitter feed, they also shared a map of that value alliance, the route map. And it's actually pretty staggering. They literally go everywhere. They go to all the countries, you know, from Australia to Japan, South Korea, of course, the Philippines, Indonesia, et cetera, et cetera, and everything in between. They also have some 
somewhere else to China, to India as well, including the Middle East. So honestly, it's a very wide uh, alliance. I'm curious to see how it will go forward, how these very, you know, razor sharp about their margins will be cooperating. But I find it absolutely fascinating. On the topic of Cebu Pacific, since the alliance was announced, they went very funny on YouTube. I'll put the link in the show notes where they are challenging the other seven, because currently there are eight, the other seven airlines to a running man challenge. If you have this video with all the staff and everybody is running like stupidly in plane outside of the plane, they said, who is the funniest airline of all nice. eight? And this, for the moment, at least, it seems to be something that could actually have a big impact in the region. And I'm wondering if someday we'll see the similar type of approach for other low-cost airlines, including in Europe. I'm not sure, but it could be very interesting. Yeah, I'm interested to see not only what services they expand to, but who they expand with, because there's so many low-cost carriers in that region that it could be a formidable alliance in a few years. Talking about alliance, one that is peculiar because of their current ties, Singapore Airlines and Air France are talking about allying themselves. This is a weird one, isn't it? Because it's cross-alliance, meaning that Singapore Sky Airlines team is, and star, yeah. Yeah, they're members of different alliances, so it seems counterintuitive. But these are two airlines that are venerable elder statesmen of the airline <laughs> world, but are also struggling a little bit in their own way for various reasons. They've said initially that it will be co-chair agreements on each other's flights between Paris and Singapore, and then connecting onto flights from Singapore and Paris. So I still don't know how this is going to work. The chatter is saying that at the beginning of the talks, they were from even last year, there was a willingness to really go very, very far in the alliance. But of course, them being in different alliances, apparently Lufthansa was pushing the brakes of like, oh, ho, ho, guys, Singapore, you're with us. You're not with our France. You're not with the other guys. So meaning they're reshaping this potential agreement to something smaller, but still deep. There will be apparently some interlining agreements, etc. For instance, Air France is known to have very good routes in Africa, quite also a solid route to Latin America. And now they would have better, they already have, of course, connections to Asia, but that could complement their network. So I don't know exactly how it works, but it shows that, like you said, these two elderly statesmen are actually trying to find new ways of expanding the network. And we know that they're all a bit suffering. Air France has been suffering for a long time, but even Singapore Airlines is not in the best shape. No, they're really not. They're really not. So uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Uh, it's always interesting because at Star Alliance, you always can see that Lufthansa is the one calling the shots more often than not. Yeah. <laughs> if anyone from any of these two airlines wants to tell us anonymously what's actually happening, we would love to hear that as well. So we've both been traveling, and sadly, neither to Australia, that will happen one day, or to uh, Asia. I mean, I've done Asia a little bit. You will do it again. You were, so you said at the top of the show, Sardinia. How was that? With whom you flew? That was great. It was British Airways on an A320. And yeah, it was good. It's a neat little airport kind of nestled in the mountains there. I had fun. I really, really enjoyed it. We've been, of course, as always, and now you listeners know that, we always exchange about all everything flying between Alex and myself. And you've been showing me something I didn't know existed, which is the ex-BMI planes that have this very fancy business class for basically medium haul because they don't fly very far. Uh, I mean, it's pretty staggering. I was not aware. So can you tell us a little bit what is that? British Airways bought BMI a few years ago, and there's, I think it's seven A321s that have this, they call mid-hauls, and they go to places like Jordan and Egypt. But also, weirdly, they do some domestic routes as well. They have this beautiful beautiful business class with like big screen and of course on a regular a320 or a321 which i was on there's no ife there's no nothing it's just you yeah, get exactly a, in europe who, who don't live in europe there's nothing basically all right but this is like lie flat seats big screen uh, just really i've not experienced it myself i've just seen the pictures i found it because i was curious about the a321 seat layout when i first booked these flights and looked on seat guru and saw two very very different layouts so if if any of you have actually been on these, I've never actually even seen one. I think that the registration codes have MED in them. Um, if you've been on one, get in touch. I'd love to hear how it actually is because it looks phenomenal. And I've tried to look for their routes and their routes actually, there's not like a normal route they do. It's very hard to say, oh, I'm going to book that route because I know the BMI plane will be there. Uh, so you told me they're going to, for instance, I think Istanbul, 
uh, maybe Tel Aviv, such places, right? Right. Amman, Jordan, places like that. He's just a domestic as well? Yeah, they do. Looking at some of the turns that the planes do, there's like Edinburgh and Manchester and Newcastle. And I have no idea what the rationale is behind that. So no, not it might be a positioning thing. Who knows? It's, it's very strange. Imagine how cool it would be to actually fly through such a short haul with that kind of product. Yeah, I, I cannot tell you how good it looks. It's so not BA, frankly. Exactly. It's so not everything we pretty much have in Europe. Pretty much everyone has A320s, A319s, and 21s, etc. They're nice. I mean, they're good enough. We're not complaining, but compared to that kind of product, which you sometimes see, of course, in the Middle East, sometimes in Asia as well, it's actually very nice to have. It, it reminds me of when, you know, Swiss was running their are tests for their new 777 from Geneva to Zurich with a 777. So you had a full life flat if you were too lucky to be in business class. I was sadly not lucky enough to try them. And I will hope uh, to have that product one of these days. I did a lot of travel. So, you know, I've been pushing that story for like now two episodes. So I'm going to go <laughs> ahead. I'm going to try not to be too long. The first one is the one I did. It was from London to Bangkok to Hong Kong. Then I took a boat to Macau, the ferry back to Hong Kong, to Incheon, to JFK, and uh, back to London Gatwick, actually, which is the airport you fly a lot, Alex, yourself. It's closer to your home, which for me is a bit further away. It was a mix of clients. I mixed the budget. I used some miles, and I did something that uh, I was very lucky to do. I flew pretty much everything, either in business or in first class. So first, I flew Thai Airways. This is why I transited to Bangkok. Thai Airways on their 380. I arrive at, at London Heathrow, the Star Alliance Terminal, which is Terminal 2. And I'm like, I was thinking they had a, a lounge. They didn't. And they told me, you can go to the Singapore Airline Lounge. Oh, wow. Yeah, of course I will go to the Singapore Airline Lounge. Not only that, I was actually in the first class lounge of Singapore Airline. Nice. Honestly, it's really nice. The thing that, the one thing I'm going to mention is that uh, because I've never seen that in any other first-class lounges in my life. Not that I've done many of them, basically two, <laughs> because I don't have the money to pay for that. They will, uh, you know, when you know they call you personally to go to the plane, you have a porter that takes your luggage, <laughs> which no I refused. I had to carry on, so I, I of course refused. But I was like, "What <laughs> is there? Some a porter?" It's always in? kind of awkward, isn't it, when somebody grabs your bag and you're like, "You know, I'm good. It's I'm I'm okay." Yeah. So I was in first class. The so first class is not Emirates. There's no doors or whatever, but of course, it's a very nice product. I would say it's not up there. I've never tried, but you've seen, you said, Singapore Airlines, the cabin suites in the front. This is not that, but this is actually pretty cool. The staff was absolutely fantastic. The fun story uh, is when I landed in Bangkok, I had just a layover of two hours, then connecting to uh, Hong Kong. There was somebody waiting for me at the door, you know, as soon as you step out the plane, I was like, oh, damn it. Uh, you know, maybe I'm about to miss my connection. Somebody's picking me up. I was not expecting that. So that person grabs me, puts me in one of these, you know, little cars that you have at the airport, like really rushes to an elevator where somebody else actually takes care of me. We go up two floors, we walk like a few meters, and then there's like, welcome, sir, in the first class lounge. So actually, it's a service. So they picked you up. <laughs> they picked me up. Wow. But they rushed they rushed me. By the way, they rushed me even like there was long lines of security. We completely cut the line. The guy took me and put me in front of everyone in the security to put my stuff to pass through the x-ray machine. And then like directly to the lounge, which of course has what? It has private rooms. So I had like my own private room, which is a bit awkward because I'm like, okay, what do I do now? <laughs> and there's no announcement. You know, they serve you tea and whatever, you know. So, and then, you know, the, you, we have this massive big fat television and of course Wi-Fi and all the amenities you can think of and then of course when the plane is ready to board they come pick you up and they walk you again with the same story a people mover and back to the other plane it's a service you know again for instance Emirates has amazing service but never had someone picking me up so I felt like a total fucking VIP which never happened I was like oh this is how they travel these guys well now I get it why <laughs> like it's royalty. not a, yeah it's not a pain to travel 
And then you'll, of course, appreciate that I was in a 747-400, which so, I hadn't yeah. flown for like five years, I think. Uh, the crew wow. was, was probably as old as the aircraft. I was in the nose, which had never happened to me because, again, first class, very old product. I felt like I was honestly in the 70s, early 80s. Everything, you know, there was, you know how in the nose, they actually had drop down screen with this massive projector. No and way. It, and even the images, you know, that were displayed on a projector felt like they were for 20, 30 years ago. There was a big globe that looked like a Pan Am logo that was displayed when there was nothing else being displayed. It was like, That's so it was. To be very frankly honest, Alex, you know, so maybe because it was in the nose, so meaning I was on the lower level at that point, compared through to the A380 I just had before, the takeoff and landing, when you know, when the gear is being either put out or in, you hear it completely. <coughs> Everything shakes and moves, which I love, but yeah, I understand. you feel like you're flying. <laughs> I understand why people, because some people have been telling us, why are you such fans of the 747? I don't know if we have the answer. We, we talk with Mark in the last episode. Maybe it's a mystique around that plane or something. What, what is it for you? I think it's, well, I, when I flew to Sofia, which we'll talk about in a second, we had a bus from Terminal 5, which is unusual. And there's a very good reason why we had a bus, which I'll share later. But we walked right past, almost underneath the wing of a 747 to get to the bus. And just looking up at it, it's just such a majestic, Correct. beautiful, trustworthy, reliable airplane that it's hard not to love it. Where, you know, the A380 is, is technically impressive, but ugly as sin. It doesn't have that mystique that the, uh, it's the true. 47 does. I'll continue the story. I don't want to take too much time, so I'll try to go as fast as I can. Yeah, even the music in the plane, you know, the, the little jingles they were playing felt as if we were in the 80s. I really loved it. Uh, by the way, the layout was strange. So the, it was the front door was open and everything is open. So you basically, you, you walk as if you walk in a big loft, which is the nose of the plane. And on the other side, there is the kitchen. So there's a kitchen within the plane that only the staff can get to. Of course, I went and asked if I could get to it. I had ne- <laughs> again, I've, I'd never seen the nose, so maybe it's a feature that all the 747s had, but for me, it was really like, wow, I feel like, you know, like in these you know, old Panams pictures you see from the 70s. I That's really so cool. adored it. I'll put, I, I didn't have time because I've been flying all around, but I'll put some pictures probably on my Flickr and I'll share it one day with you guys so you can see. It. It's really something, if you can experience a 747, you should before they disappear. Uh, then you land to Hong Kong, you don't have to clear immigration. There's a little train to take you to the ferry terminal when you wait for a ferry, which is a fast speed ferry. Of course, Alex, when I asked him about this question, because he used to live there, I said, oh, Paul, take the helicopter. Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) uh, Took the ferry. It's really great. And what I was surprised is two things. First, uh, immigration at Macau is actually extremely easy compared to Hong Kong. You basically arrive and you get in. You know, you show your passport. I felt like I was in Europe. Macau is a, I could have a show about it because it's a very strange place. I mean, I, I had some fun. It was only 24 hours. I jumped off of a tower bungee jumping. Yeah, so that's what that, <laughs> you need to find a way to post the video somewhere because that's yeah. incredible. 233 meters. Yes. Jeez. <laughs> if they actually give you a little card, frequent flyers. The more jumps you do, you get free yeah. jumps. And it says frequent flyers. I have a new frequent flyer nice. card. On the way back, I was checking into the ferry. So there's also like a checking counters. It's amazing they had all my information already, meaning the airlines are sharing that kind of information. They knew they said, oh, final destination to New York. It was beyond my next flight, two flights ahead. And then they were asking me, but do you have the ESTA, so any visa? Yes. And do you have a flight that goes from New York to somewhere? Are you going away from the U.S.? I had to prove, thankfully, I had everything on my Evernote, et cetera. But I had to prove that I were also maybe U.S. authorities asking them to have this. But they had everything, my flight number, That's everything. That's strange, isn't it? Because there are, like you said, they're on separate itineraries, right? Yeah. So they're, how would they have got that information? I don't know. Probably, you know, information sharing, but... I didn't mind. I was just surprised because obviously if they had asked me, prove us that you are going X and X, I would have shown them, you know, I'm in China. I'm not going to start doing some crazy mental thing at the checking counter. But they really had a lot about me already. They didn't have my headset, so you see there's something that I thank thank God they didn't have. But they really had a lot already. When you arrive at Hong Kong airport, you go to a little checking counter, by definition, you cannot escape it. They will reimburse you your Hong Kong landing charges that you paid on your flight. Because they oh, said, that's since, good. Yes, I got $120, I think. Because they said, yeah, since you haven't actually 
been in Hong Kong and you've just transferred, here's your taxes back. Cash, by the way. <laughs> so that's it. Yeah. I was then flying as Yana to uh, Seoul, so New York via Seoul. They have no lounge. So I was in the Hong Kong Airlines lounge, which was pretty cool. I sent you that picture of that thing to wait. And I didn't know if it was to wait people or to wait luggages. And you told me that these used to be a staple in Hong Kong. It's a whole machine when you put a coin and yeah, it tells in the, you like... in the Star Ferry Terminals. Gives you like your future, right? You yeah. See, <laughs> That's actually cool to find that in the lounge. In that lounge also had something very funny. There's like on-demand noodles, which of course I enjoy. Nice. There's a chef with an open window and you can request a few things with a touch screen. So the lounge was not fancy, but the little things that you have sometimes in Asia that you don't have anywhere else are pretty fun. Yeah. Um, then I flew first flights from Hong Kong to Incheon and I flew, I think it was 320 or something. And you tell me, Paul, there's an A380 doing the exact same ride in front of you, like five minutes difference. Yeah, right? it, was the, it was the weirdest thing because I was looking at the flight on Plane Finder and there you were in an A320 and then there was an Asiana, so same airline, A380, leaving at exactly the same time, time. doing it, the same route. I didn't get that. I mean, you know, I booked whatever I found and I never thought there would be another one. Not that I regret or anything, but it was really strange that they would have these two conquered planes running at the same time. And you yeah. remember, I sent you the picture of the interior of the business class cabin of that 320 and I said, this must be so old because it looks like I'm in the 80s with these big fat seats and like Paul that plane is four months old yeah it was brand new it was brand new there's a difference isn't it between Asian regional business and uh, European regional business it's night yeah, and it's still, it's still, yeah it's still night and day there's still IFE there's, it was nice by the way the pilot came into the cabin to salute us which is something you know very nice and it was actually very good service I did enjoy it for some strange reasons there were only like it was a two by two row configuration in business class there were six seats. There were four people, and for some reason they put everyone on the right of the plane, so there are two strangers sitting in front of me. I was in the last row. They didn't know each other. I don't know how they actually made that. Then, of course, That's people kind of scrambled away, but I mean, it's a bit weird. You're like, why am I seated next to a stranger? I mean, the person in front of me. Where is this? All these seats are free. Anyway, very nice flight. The transfer in Xi'an is amazing. Of course, I arrived way too early, so I had to wait like, I think, five hours. <laughs> actually, the first class lounge was not even open. I went to the business class lounge. Very nice, and I transferred to the first class lounge. Also, like, there's a piano in there. Like, it's pretty impressive. But the flight, that's the thing. 380 first class, that's a lot with miles, actually. That's probably the longest or the second longest flight I've done is 14 hours and 30 minutes to Hong oh. to uh, to New York. Yeah. So, so, so Seoul yeah. to New York. Wow, that's a long way. The first class cabin is actually on the lower deck on the A380, like a lot of oh, other Oh, that's airlines, interesting. In the very, very front. Private doors as well. I mean, you have to close them manually instead of Emirates. You do it with a button. But honestly, probably one of the best products I've seen in my life. And I see even the pajamas were like, oh, I kept them. I mean, I keep them all anyway, but these ones are like probably the most designed and thoughtful. And honestly, it's just an incredible, incredible, incredible product. Very funny tidbit though. <laughs> you know what they do, their safety thing. Uh, and they, of course, remind you for the umpteenth time that you're not supposed to smoke. It's not smoking service. Yeah, because smoking service exists. You know, it's another plane that, that was not right. movable or something, right? <laughs> They tell you on Agena, air spray product could actually also trigger the smoke alarm. Really? <laughs> well, I I've never that. heard that before. <laughs> They also had a catalog because so you are looking for these tiny planes that airlines used to sell for one of your kids, right? Yeah, my and son uh, loves the little plastic models. And every flight I go, I look, Lufthansa, etc. I look, is there a plane that I could bring back to Alex? And sadly, actually, these are disappearing. They I really swear. are. So when I picked up the in-flight shopping magazine to look at it, 310 pages. What? <laughs> and Asia. no airplanes. That's that's crazy. No, but you can book everything and anything. You can buy whatever you want from you I know, thought the Lufthansa one was bad. Holy yeah, cow. Yeah, this is just incredible. You can, of course, have it delivered to your home, etc. So it's actually really a fun one to watch. The one little thing I will say, this is not only for Asia, it's for all airlines. I mean, I get it that you have to play some promotional videos, but you know what? When you have three or four in a row, it starts oh, to be a little bit, tiresome, you know, yeah. it gets tiresome, especially if you cut your movie or you're like, oh, just shut up. Which, of course, then, you know, drags people like me to just watch stuff on our iPad because it's not going to actually be interrupted. Yeah. So I would say in terms of think about that when you overdo it a little bit. But honestly... 
perfect flight. Crew was absolutely fantastic. The food, you know, of course, you had Western choices and Korean choices. I always go for the locals. The Korean was amazing. Oh, I'm so no, jealous. I, I've yeah, never yeah. flown on Asiana. I'd love to. Impeccable is that, I would say. You know, even the way the stuff is dressed and the way they walk inside the plane is impeccable. It's like, it's admirable. I mean, maybe some people would say it's too close to being robotic. Is it perfection? Is it robotism? But honestly, it was just incredible. Nice. Incredible. You know, there's no, oh yeah, that's the funny thing. There's no overhead bins. There are lockers in the front, you know, like on the lower deck. Uh, there's, you know, the stairs are in front. There's a series of lockers when you can put your stuff. Like lockers, like in a locker room, like when you go to the gym. That's, so you have, you have huh. your locker. Yeah, huh, exactly. It was like, where are they taking my luggage? You know, because I had my carry-on. That's all I was flying with. It's like they take it. I'm like, why are you taking it? Can I not keep it with me? <laughs> they put that's it in the locker. That's a little strange. So yeah, then I arrived to JFK. As I said many times over, and you've said as well, honestly, since they've introduced the machines for immigration, it has changed the game. I literally... JFK, right? We're talking about a big airport. It is always crowded. I have ETSAS, a visa waiver program. I literally cleared immigration in less than three minutes. It's mind-blowing. It's this. Such, it's going such super a fast. Yeah. I mean, you know what? The U.S. decides to do something and they go all in. Well, it changes completely the game. It used to be that you had to sometimes wait an hour, an hour and a half in the queue even for visa waiver programs until everybody's cleared. Those machines are just wonderful. So kudos to the border administration, whatever the name is in the U.S., because that's really has change everything. And then last bit, the one, the plane back from, again, JFK, this time to uh, London Gatwick. Why? Because I absolutely wanted to try Norwegian and to try the 787. So I finally did the 787. Sorry, Alex. I know. So, so. Well, I'm, I'm glad that one of us has experienced it. And but I'm you, glad. Will, you will do it soon, no? Uh, yeah, in one month I'll do it for the first uh, time. I see. So you won't be that late, actually. So you'll be catching them very quickly. You'll see it's it's everything what it's said to be. To be honest, of course, you know, the product is Norwegian. I'll go to that in a second, but the windows are actually larger. The plane is actually quieter. You know, everything that people say and you're like, is it like marketing or is it actually the case? It is an amazing aircraft. It has a lot of personality. And you know what? Now that I've been in one, I will actually actively try to see if I can, whenever I do a routing, if there's a 787 there. because Really? It's, it was that it, good? It is that good. It has something to it that it's not the hype. There's really something about that aircraft that is amazing. You know, the product is Norwegian. So it's a low cost, long haul airline. I was, and it's amazing. Imagine I was in the Echo Plus or Premium, whatever the name they give it. So slightly larger seats. There's no light flat to whatever. It cost me like less than $500. When you have all these other airlines that fly it one way because I didn't want to do a return, obviously, because I was doing a round-the-world trip. All the other airlines from Virgin to BA, et cetera, they hit you because you do it one way. They're like, oh, it's going to be like $1,800. And I'm like, what the hell? I'm not talking even business class. I'm like, what the hell are you talking about? And then you fly this, and you know what? The staff was amazing, like young and entertaining. The product has a lot of personality. It has something, it's probably not Virgin, in America, as in not exactly that far off you know, the mood lightning, but there's something to it. I really passionately liked it. I will fly Norwegian again. There's, there Everybody are that I've life. spoken to that has flown on them has had a positive experience. They really do seem to be doing something right. They just announced that they will now be flying, for instance, to Las Vegas from Gatwick. I really hope that they are opening new routes because it's not only the price, it's the price and the quality. It's a low cost, quite comfortable. There's something very nice about it. I really am impressed and I will fly them way more than, you know, even if clients tell me, Paul, it's fine, you can pay yourself in business class, I would actually go and maybe try uh, Norwegian because they are that good. Now I'm even more angry when I hear stories about the US authorities trying or other actually trying to block well, them. Well, that's like, why. It's because they're so good. Honestly, they are very, very, very good. And you know, the little details about, you know, everything from having the USB and the, oh, everything you'd expect that, you know, the stuff that you me will be like, why is that Doesn't missing? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They thought about the little details. It's not, you know, again, it's not luxury, but it's perfect. It's exactly yeah. what you and me would fly all the time. And you know what? On the 787, it's true what they say about the overhead bins being very smartly designed. They're big. You can put a lot of stuff there. No, it's it's great aircraft and it's a great airline. I'm flying actually again the 787 uh, next uh, week from Zurich to Doha. So I'll see if it's a different experience. I don't think so. The plane is really 
really amazing. Uh, yeah, and I forgot, uh, the IFE is really nicely done. It's clearly an Android tablet, so it's extremely snappy, not one of these things, you know, some of the airlines invent and are almost overdone. Yeah. And there are some very smart little things, like a video to explain you how to fill your immigration card. Just helping you do the stuff that normally we might ask a flight attendant, how do, what kind of name should I put on this box or whatever when you fly Very to the US, for instance. Little things like that. Well, of course, they want to reduce the strain on the flight attendants, but at the same time, there are very simple steps that just makes it very agreeable. You should definitely fly them, Alex. You, you will be convinced. I'm I, pretty oh, yeah. sure. I'm a fan and I've never even flown them. I just like what they stand for. And then, uh, so Sofia, so I was in Athens before, and before that I was in Paris very quickly. So Paris, I took Air France from London to Paris. Makes no sense when you have the Eurostar, but I needed one flight per year to maintain my SkyTeam miles. So I just took that one. <laughs> That's dedication from, to the yeah, game. Right well, there. Yeah, I flew from Paris to, which I really don't like, Charles de Gaulle, but I flew from Paris. And I was in Terminal 1. So that's the old terminal, you know, that is very designed, made it, I think, in the 60s or something. It has something to it. I mean, to be honest, it's not practical. It's not scalable. There's way too many people. But the design, uh, look it up, guys, online if you've never seen Terminal 1. You can feel the enthusiasms that people like it, that TWA terminal that, oh, that is. Oh, yes. There was this hope that flying would be such an experience. I never thought about scalability, of course, of the fact that we'll have, like, hundreds of millions of people in an airport. It has some personality to it. Athens, nothing to say about. Then Sofia, one-hour flight, again, paid by clients. I uh, said, okay, business class. There's no business class, basically, between Athens and Sofia. So AGN Airlines, A320, perfect. And one thing I realized is like, oh, it's strange. Although they say there's no business class, I was put in front and there was a, a free middle seat between me and my fellow passenger. And a friend of mine from Lufthansa tells me and that I didn't know, that apparently if you are a gold senator card member, they will make everything in their power to have a middle seat free between you That's and your passenger. That's so cool. If they can, they will do it. Last thing, and then I'll finish boring you uh, about my very, very long travel stories. Uh, <laughs> since I'm on Lufthansa, I was in New York at a conference called DLD. One of the sponsors was Lufthansa. Uh, and I could see two things. One we've talked about and the other one we haven't. I've been able to finally see the Remo one. Uh, electronic tag on a luggage. The actual luggage was ah. there. Those guys were there. I was able to actually touch it. It looks pretty amazing. It's, you know, your traditional Remoa, they have this very particular design that you can recognize out of the thousand. Interesting, not only they do that for Lufthansa, they already are doing trials for 10 other airlines, wow. 10 other airlines, and not only German airlines. So this is something that will might go somewhere more than you and me were thinking, like, well, of course, only Lufthansa will go there and, you know, only people who are remote. This is something they are deploying APIs and stuff. So uh, we'll follow up. We'll keep an eye yeah. open about that. Okay, that, that this, this could be an interesting yeah. one. And the other thing, uh, Lufthansa was displaying... You could test the virtual reality headsets and test the products of all the cabins in Lufthansa, which is really cool. And then I asked the representatives, and I will mention one name, I think she was called Jane. She's been working on marketing in Lufthansa US for the past 23 years. You know, it's when you see people like that, that you like the airline industry. It's people that are loyal and that really do good shit for passengers. She was one. So... And nice. she told me, you know what they use this product for? At check-in counter or, and, or at the gate, they will entice you to see how is premium economy. This is what you could have. And this is how much you should pay to get like a small upgrade and you'll be able to fly premium economy. So if you're in economy uh. at JFK, they will show you in a virtual reality headset what it would be like to be flying in a slightly better product. <laughs> That's <laughs> clever. Right? So, Sofia, we'll go to Sofia at the end of the show. And I think that actually uh, ends my story. One last thing about Charles de Gaulle. Guys, why do you have e-gates? I know it seems to be that I'm always complaining about e-gates for passport at every show. But they have e-gates that says European Union. So you and me, Alex, could go there. And then when you arrive in front, they say, oh, but we think only French passports are working here. Like, ah, are you kidding me? What? <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, well, anyway. End of my very long travel story. I could admit no, it's that, shorter. That's... So, so you so did sorry. it. You went, all, you went all the way around the world. Now, quick mention, sadly, uh, there was another crash and everybody talks about it. Egypt Air crashed a few days ago. And uh, as usual, we get a lot of speculation about what happened. It's too early. Do you have any take on that? Well, you know, like you said, this episode is going to go live about 10 days after we record it. But 
It just makes me sad more than anything. It was the first time I've ever flown on the same day that something like this has oh, happened. Oh, I didn't realize. It was a, which one? Was it the flight uh, from Sofia to Sofia? Or? Right, flight coming back from Sofia. It had happened that day and I got in the airplane and I really couldn't stop thinking about it as I was flying. Not, not in a sort of freaking out way. It's just sort of a moment to reflect when you've got nothing else to do and you're up there. Uh, you know, who knows what the cause is, no matter what it is, it's still it's so sad and it feels like it's happening often when relatively it, it's not. And when I got home, I pulled up Plane Finder and there were 7,436 airplanes in the sky at that moment and they were all wow. going to land just fine and they were going to do it the next day and the next day and the next day and the next day. But yeah, we'll see what comes out of this, what caused it, but it's just sad. It's plain sad. Yeah. Our deepest sympathies to the families will probably learn the causes and the one thing is don't go into, because I, and I don't say that to you, Alex, obviously, but don't people sometimes go into all these kind of speculations and crazy theories about what happened. We'll learn. It takes time. You know, don't go into crazy mode immediately because sometimes it, it pisses me off to see people, oh, yeah, this is why it happened. And immediately yeah, everybody's after like five minutes after even the plane crashed, not even time to mourn or whatever. It probably is the, the age of social media and fast-paced news, but still, sometimes it's a bit, everybody's an expert suddenly. One thing I noticed more and more when I travel, and I noticed this, for instance, in Paris, when I was taking the little train within the terminal, more and more you hear announcements in Chinese, uh, which already had happened, but as a first announcement is English, Chinese, Chinese sometimes before English, meaning that, you know, Chinese travelers are clearly uh, coming. I mean, there was one of the big debate at that conference I just mentioned in New York, you know, when the Lufthansa people were on stage with the Remoa and some other people from the travel industry, they were all talking about how the travel industry might be reshaped with China. And there was a very interesting article, I think, again, can I send it to me, in The Economist, where they talk about the expansion of business travel as well in China. And I think that clearly shows Absolutely. that it's a, it could go to be a game changer. It's poised to be a huge, huge, huge market, especially because up to now, most of these travelers were traveling domestically, and now they will start traveling internationally, which actually will change the face of travel. Hence, as I just said, these announcements cater for them. I don't know if any of the Chinese will ever fly Ryanair, but I'm sure as hell that Ryanair will try to catch them. <laughs> uh, we said that they've changed a little bit their stance. They used to have this reputation of being like these very bad and low cost, and now they're actually changing a bit their image. Well, yeah, they've worked hard, and I think it really is a genuine effort to reshape their image from this sort of customer-loathing <laughs> uh, experience <laughs> to more customer-centric. I think they've finally reached the volume of passengers where they can now just start to move into the territory of more customer-centric airlines. They, so they've added a little bit of flexibility. They've reduced some of the fees or at least made them a little bit more obvious. And they've introduced this business product, not business class, but more flexibility, things like that. Very similar to what EasyJet have done. But they've also started to do this complete transformation of how they actually do their route planning. So they might actually do some hub and spoke stuff, which oh. is very against the 30 plus years of history that they've had building the airline. So if you think about it, it would open up their audience and their passengers to so many new destinations because you no longer have to go point to point. So you could go, as this article suggests, you know, Edinburgh to Marrakesh, change at Stansted, um, yeah. whereas then you have to book two separate tickets. It's a brave and bold, and, but also a very sensible move. So it'll be interesting to see how... Have you ever flown on Ryanair? Yeah, but a long time ago. So still at that time where Ryanair had like, you know, it, it was not a good experience for me. And, and again, I repeat that because I always have to say it for people that think I always travel in the front of the cabin. I fly a lot, a low cost, but for me, EasyJet is my get-to-go airline me that too. I fly to. And me I'm too. really happy with EasyJet. I don't... Me too. I mean, I had a few hiccups from like, being, come on, delays happens even like on Lufthansa or BA, for God's sakes. But... So for me, it's interesting to see that because I might want to try it again. For instance, they've unveiled a frequent flyer program now. They also make it easier to book multi-city, like you, you just mentioned, and which actually reminds me, that, I don't know if you had talked about it on the show, but actually we had spotted the news. They were willing to sign, I don't know if it had been done, but they were willing to sign an interlining agreement with BA. Yeah. And, and now that we have this piece of the puzzle, you would say, yeah, if they're going in a hub-and-spoke model, having an interlining agreement to complement the missing pieces of the network with BA would actually make a lot of sense. Yeah. Let's also not forget that the new BA CEO is the guy who actually founded Vueling. 
is a guy who also comes from a low-cost world and understands that BEA has to also reshape its business model closer to the low-cost for at least the economy part of the cabin or maybe some of the short routes. So there's yes. something there that is very interesting going on, I think. Absolutely. And I think it's just the next step in the evolution of Ryanair. And let's not forget, they're a huge, huge airline, and they didn't get that way by making mistakes, frankly. So I think this is a sound strategy. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out. When I was flying from Heathrow, I always carry this backpack with all my equipment. So I'll have a normal camera, then I have all little add-ons. I have a GoPro, I have a 360 little camera, I have plenty of cables, an iPad Pro. I had to have my MacBook at the same time, so I have a lot of stuff. Which creates usually sometimes our problems, but the first time a security at Heathrow asked me to basically remove everything out of my bag. Never happened to me in the US, but we have again more news in the US that the TSA is becoming more and more of a disaster. And there were some pictures of the lines. Holy Ugh. cow. Yeah, these pictures are coming from Twitter as well. So there were frustrated travelers venting their fury at these lines that are just. The lines are just ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. And it comes to the story that you shared uh, a few episodes ago about the fact that they're trying to move people to TSA prey, they understaff the non-TSA prey lines, and of course that creates these. And the lines are like, really, some of them like going through entire terminals or something. This is crazy. You're oh, supposed to arrive two hours early. People that know Alex and myself, we know that we are sometimes very early in the airports. <laughs> but that, if I know that, I will come like four hours early to an airport, which is ridiculous by itself for domestic travels. Yeah, it's obscene. And I saw a tweet over the weekend or late last week that Chicago airport was telling people to arrive three hours early for domestic flights, oh, that's insane. Which, is, which is just crazy. I think also, was it Charlotte Airport? The line was three hours long. So people were going to miss their flights. I think it's it's. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. The Port Authority of New York and New Jersey that handles the three airports in the New York area is thinking about basically replacing the TSA with another private body. Yeah, they do something similar in San Francisco, but it's sort of a joint venture between, or at least it was, if anybody knows more detail about this, but it certainly was not purely TSA and not purely city or state of San Francisco. So, And that actually was pretty good. It's not as great as it used to be. I can see why people would find that attractive, including port authorities. But if you want to be in a plane and not having to suffer through security, so there's two ways. One is obviously to actually buy your own aircraft like a Gulfstream, but you know, you'd have to have a lot of money. The other way is to actually go to a hotel that looks like an airplane. And there was this Cloud9 hotel in Ireland that is in a plane. Uh, I love seen this. That? I <laughs> love this. So this chap who has a, uh, a glamping, so glamorous camping resort in County Sligo, Apparently, there's been a Transaero 767 sitting at Shannon Airport for a long time, and he bought it and said, right, this will be hilarious. We'll turn it into a camping site. And he did, and they put it onto a barge at Shannon Airport and sailed it up an estuary and then into the open waters <laughs> to get it to this place where they had to time the tides perfectly to get it up onto the shore. But it's uh, my friend uh, Charlotte, who lives in Ireland, was telling me all about this because apparently this guy was on the radio a lot. And so she was sending me these links to this guy who sounds like just a whole lot of fun. He was really enthusiastic about the whole project. And if you are in Ireland, you can also check the Cork International Hotel, which has a dedicated room. You cannot sleep in it, but a dedicated room where you could actually feel like... So it's not the aircraft itself, but all the equipment in it are, you know, the, the seats, the tables, the trolleys are from an airline, and you can relax in that part of the hotel. So that's another way for you to enjoy without having that. to go through security. So if you don't want to stay in a hotel, but you want to have furniture at home, you could actually buy, a, but you have to have a, quite a lot of money, a seat that is made out from the engine from from the the shell is it like the nacelle yeah part? the nacelle yeah, yeah. Made for the nacelle of an engine, I think it's a 737, and that's transformed into a seat. On the website, it doesn't say how much it costs. You have to actually inquire, which I didn't do because I don't want to max out all my credit cards on that. And then, I guess you also have to transport it, which <laughs> should be pretty heavy, that thing. Yeah. <laughs> I love stuff like this. There's been a few places that have been doing stuff like this for a while now. And Boeing actually do some of the stuff themselves where you can get like a DC-9 engine cowling chair. Right, it's true. Uh, they have a store, actually an online store we can buy a yeah. few things actually as well a bench made from the leading edge slat of a 727 I mean yeah you're right there are thousands and thousands beautiful pieces of work and there was another one and I can't remember what the company was called but they did it 
in the late 90s, early 2000s, Arrow Art or something like that. I'm sure you guys know what I'm talking about. The same company that does that share also will release more affordable products. They aren't yet released, but if you want to be on the lookout, their website is planeindustries.co.uk. Lufthansa actually sells you. It's a company, I think it's in the US. They refurbish old trolleys from aircraft, you know, when you have, you know, the food that is being delivered to you. They refurbish them. I find them a bit expensive for what they mm -hmm. are. If you want to find those, you can go on eBay and you always have like a lot of good deals because I want to buy one for my office, but I'm waiting for a specific color. You can find them for like sometimes 200 quid, which is like $300, even sometimes less. You have the full ones that are very big or the half one that's slightly smaller. And you can find really good deals it's on eBay. So have, cool. have your eyes open there. Don't always go for the very fancy shops. I'm Unless... always surprised how frequently they turn up on eBay. Like even like rows of economy seats, old business exactly. class seats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> My was, office would be very full of, uh, yeah. If I had more room in my office, I would buy a seat, uh, like an economy seat. Of course, they're a bit worn out and whatever. Probably need a bit of a cleanup, but they're not that expensive. I'd rather have that that has some kind of history to yeah. it than have like a very fancy seat made of a nacelle of an engine, which honestly looks amazing, but I'm not sure it would actually be worth the price. But I mean, if anybody buys one, invite Alex to actually sit in it. and I want to take a picture of him in there. <laughs> uh, I was booking other flights with Lufthansa as well because I've done some other routes. I went to Krakow from Paris as well, didn't mention earlier, and I flew the only flight I could find with, with Lufthansa. Alex is accusing me of always flying Lufthansa, basically Frankfurt being my second home. It's slightly changing. I've looked at my stats. I think by the end of June, I would have been at Munich more than Frankfurt. And I'm really liking, I mean, we said that when we talked about Munich because the transfers are much faster than Frankfurt. Lufthansa just started a new service. It's called uh, car sharing. I mean, you know what car sharing is. They've uh, basically uh, allied themselves with Car2Go, which is a company that was, I think, created by Daimler, the guys behind Mercedes. As part of the passenger experience, you're going to the airport. You could also rent a car for an hour or two just to get you to the airport. Everything is arranged, a special parking for Lufthansa flyers there, and then you go directly to your flight. It's, it's a good idea. Would you do that instead of taking your car and leaving it to Heathrow? There was such a service you could only buy by the hour? Yeah, I mean, if the economics stacked up, really, that's for me, that's what it all boils down to. I, I have to admit, because I parked my car at Heathrow for the last couple of trips, and when I was flying back, you know, short-haul trips, they're like, uh, would you like a glass of wine with dinner? And I was like, actually, oh, no, because I have ha. to drive when I get home. Correct. <laughs> ah, ha, ha. Yes, absolutely. So that's, I mean, it's such a small inconvenience yeah, a small in the big scheme of things. That's a, definitely a benefit to this type of service. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anyone disrupting that part of the service. Uh, we said that Lufthansa has now an innovation hub uh, based in Berlin. Uh, we also said that Airbus has opened this new lab VC thing in the Silicon Valley. They have actually hired who's going to head it, and it's an ex-Google, so they're very serious about it. And from the last time we talked to this time, they now released a name, uh, A-Cubed. It's A3, so no, A3 is AGN, so I guess you have to say A-Cubed. Uh, okay, and you, right. when you, the, the website is actually Airbus-S. SV.com for SV for Silicon Valley. Go on the website and you'll see that they're hiring a lot of people. So if you actually want to work in something airline related, you're in tech or you want to disrupt it, look at the listings. They really are going full on with that project, Airbus. It's not just an excuse. We know that a lot of lots of companies have opened innovation centers, incubator, etc., like BMW, AXA, insurance companies, whatever. But Airbus seems to be really, really going full on, on that one. So I think we have to keep an eye open on that one. Yeah, it looks like they've got some really big ambitions, and you're right there. Their leadership team is very impressive. Uh, maybe we should open the London office for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why not? <laughs> Talking about innovation, which is not truly innovation, uh, it's more fun to have. I mentioned quite a few times the uh, little website called Jet Lovers that automatically tracks your flights depending on your Foursquare check-ins, your Twitters, and your Facebooks updates and check-ins. They just added a very cool feature. If you've had been using it and you have your flights populated in there, jetlovers.com, you can now see a 3D view of the globe with all your flight paths. Oh, cool. And each city has actually a little line on top of it which shows how often you are at that specific airport. It even works on my iPhone. It's really, really nicely done. You should take a look. 
And one last story. Uh, what the fuck story of the day? Uh, <laughs> because honestly, we've heard about brawls in flights and, you know, people being ejected, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But this... This was crazy. So this woman punched an EasyJet pilot in the face, a passenger. Oh. The flight was on the ground. They were going from London to Cyprus. Pardon Paphos, me, Manchester yeah. to, to Cyprus. This woman, she assaulted the captain. And then they also discovered she had a warrant for her arrest for drug offenses as well. So, yeah, not uh, not the not the cream of the crop there. That she was arrested and taken off, and then the flight uh, was only about less than two hours late. So the police and the EasyJet did well. But then I just read today that EasyJet again had to divert somewhere to jump off a bunch of uh, rowdy passengers on the way to I think somewhere in the Algarve perhaps, or or somewhere in sunnier climes coming from the UK. You know, I'm flying EasyJet for my vacation because you accuse me of never taking vacations. I'm taking a vacation later oh, good. Uh, this summer with EasyJet, obviously. So now that you tell me these stories, and I hope I don't have a brawl, which reminds me one thing. I was flying to that tire Airways A380, and I will say that one passenger in first class was, for me, um, so maybe I'm judging, but clearly wasted. So oh. probably the rules are not the same when you're in first class than if you are in coach. I'll, it's I'll, never, I'll, leave it, I'll, leave it, I'll leave it like that. For it's that, never a good idea to get drunk on an airplane. No. It's just not. Let's really say that if that same passenger had been in economy, arriving in the state, he was boarding the plane, he might not have been accepted. But he was in first oh, wow. class. And I was like, maybe I'm making a judgment call here. But I was like, come on. Uh, anyway, it, it was not a disturbance, so that's fine. But still, sometimes money buzz you stuff, right? So, yeah. Sophia, what do you think about that airport? I had a slightly unusual experience arriving there because <laughs> yes. on my flight from London to Sofia was, uh, you know, a few people going to the conference that, that we were both involved with and the prime minister of Bangladesh <laughs> and her entourage of about 25 people. <laughs> and so we had a bus, a remote stand at T5, which was unusual. It's not completely unheard of, but it was unusual. And that's why it's because they had like maybe seven or eight Mercedes cars dropping off the entourage to get onto the airplane, including the prime minister herself. And then when we got to Sofia, instead of just taxiing up to the terminal and then with a jet bridge attached, we actually went to the VIP center where there was a red carpet rolled out, a guard of honor from the Bulgarian military and about 40 or 50 dignitaries waiting there to meet our airplane. And so we all had to wait for them to get off before we were then bussed to the terminal. Oh, so you had so the bus was waiting for you still in front of that VIP terminal. Yes. So we were oh. once the delegation had kind of moved into this VIP terminal, we were then allowed off the airplane. And their people were spread throughout the airplane, not just in business class. Were you sitting um, next to her? Uh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I was not. Other than that, that's a cool airport because there's loads of old Soviet airliners in various states of disrepair. Yeah. It's crazy, um, right? Yeah. And you, you cool mentioned helicopters I, and yeah. I, I landed and I was on a very real for me, but I was on an AL seat, so I couldn't actually see you. And you said, Paul, when you take off, please take a look. There are like lots of small aircraft, bigger aircraft being laid out all around. And it's crazy the number of aircraft that are there. That seemed yeah. like you say some of them seem to be abandoned there. Yeah, because there was like a an Avra liner with no engines and there's a bunch of Tupolevs sitting around. Tupolevs, yeah. And a, a, some big helicopters, a Russian military helicopter. But also, I mean, the way that the airport is built, the piers for the gates afford you a beautiful view over the apron and the runways yes, as well. Absolutely. So it's it's good if you're into that kind of thing, even though there's not a whole heap of movements. Which, by so, the way, we both liked it because unlike Heathrow or even Gatwick, it's actually such a small airport that you can clear everything so fast, right? It's yeah. Like, I arrived just before you and uh, sent you a message. So you'll see I from the plane, off the plane to being like outside, took me less than seven minutes. Did you uh, use the e-gates? No. I made the mistake of using the e-gates, which Didn't confounded work. everybody. Uh, no, they were fine. It wasn't hugely oh. intuitive. It wasn't like the ones uh, at some of the other airports that we've been through. And it just kind of like broke the brains of a few people in front of me <laughs> that, that needed uh, escorting through. But yeah, I thought it was a neat little airport. New Frankly, as well. Yeah, yeah, it looks pretty new uh, or very well maintained. I will say that on the way back, but it's also because it was probably a Sunday, the security line was so, so long. I think from 
the point that I started queuing to the point where I actually passed security, I waited 30 minutes, which for a small airport, I mean, you know, I had time, so I was not stressed out or whatever, and I was listening to music with my headphones, so I was fine. But I mean, normally in such a small airport, you'd expect these things to be much faster. But other than that, we haven't used public transportation, so I've seen trains, trams. Yes, there's a metro that takes you all the way into the city. So it seems very practical, too. Yeah, it's a great little airport. I was super impressed by it. By the way, when I was leaving the airport, I saw that VIP terminal that you've been so boasting about. I was like, such a (laughs) VIP, Alex, you're being stopped at a VIP terminal. And you know what? That carpet must be permanent. It was still there. So I think it is. That's why we were saying that it was not in the brightest of reds. Probably no, because it, it was actually, more of a rust color than yeah. anything. Honestly, very nice airport and fantastic views on takeoff. You see the city, you see the mountain ranges. I was really lucky. I took a lot of pictures, as always. I will send them to Mark because we, he said in the last episode he wants pictures from the windows. Yeah. <laughs> 10,000 yeah. more to Mark. I actually enjoyed the city, so a uh, very nice destination. Qatar goes there. there yeah, they a, did. There was an A320 sitting there. They do an A320? Yeah, I, there was, the A320 was using the same gate that your flight the next day or two days later would have used as well. It was, uh, yeah, it was an A320. Oh, Four and a half hours. Wow. Uh, you just reminded me, by the way, that, you know, I was flying Lufthansa and I flew Air Dolomiti. That was pretty cool, actually. It was an Embraer 195 and it was a pretty cool aircraft and a pretty cool service. It's always strange that I don't know how it works, but they clearly say we are Lufthansa. Like, no, guys, we are in Air Dolomiti. Yeah. It's green. They say Buonasera, of course, because it's an Italian airline. But then when the PA announcement, they say, welcome to this Lufthansa flight. I was like, anyway, I love Embraers. You do too, as well. And I do. The, and there's this little feature that we both love, which is on the side of the walls, there's a little bump so you can actually put your foot <laughs> yeah. and rest it on it. And I think it's such a, very, a small thing, but so powerful. So powerful. <laughs> <laughs> well, next week, I will be able to tell you what a Saab 2000 is like. Where are you going with a Saab 2000? Saab 2000 on Eastern Airways. What uh, what is that? To the Isle of Man from London City Airport. How long does that take? About 50 minutes. Because it doesn't go very fast, or is it because it's actually 50 minutes? I don't know. You know, it's, it's I'm never taking yeah, a sap about that. Oh, maybe I No, I don't think I have either, so I will report back. And who's that Eastern? Is it like Eastern an Isle of Man airline? They are a um, partner of British Airways. Aha. Uh-huh. So it's a British Airways livery Saab 2000 operated by Eastern Airways. I'm really curious about that. And also about the airport there, because it must be quite something, actually. It so is. It's a cute airport in the Isle of Man. I'm very, there. very, very, very curious to hear about that. <laughs> well, I also do very various trips, uh, but I'll mention that in the next show because they are again a bit long to mention and on that Alex I wish you safe travels thank you on behalf of layovers and the entire crew we would like to thank you for joining us on this podcast today and we're looking forward to seeing you on board again next week flight attendants please prepare for landing